I would say the most upsetting part of the premiere was when Steven Dorff almost shot that cat. It was a fox. You are animal blind. It is furry. It has four legs and pointy ears. I don't think I was that far off. So it's a bird. Yes, it is uh, part of the bird family. Okay. Welcome to Basic Cable. I'm your host, Carly. And I'm Lucas, and I'm going to be going full-on feast mode until Big Daddy Sitch is free. Yes, apparently even though we decided hours ago that this would be a bottle episode talking about True Detective Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2, we have something here in the rundown that says, Free Sitch! Free Sitch! With like eight exclamation points. Free Sitch! (laughs) For those of you who know, Mike the Situation Sorrentino... Reported to prison today, federal prison, for... Otisville. An eight-month sentence for tax fraud and conspiracy to defraud the United States. We'll leave it at that. No, no tell the <laughs> interesting part of the the fact that he's incarcerated. Oh, I thought I did that already. No. Oh. He's going to be in the same uh, penitentiary as Michael Cohen when Michael Cohen is uh, ultimately reports. So he... Very well could be. Do you think Michael, Michael Cohen will report before Sitch is out? Yeah, I think so. What Mike comes out? What like Halloween time? August, eight months. Boo. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Cohen will report in the next eight months. Okay. What are we here to talk about? If not freeing the situation, he's the opposite of free today. No, I know. He's I, I want to free him. Jailed man. Yeah. How do you think he's going to do in there? He'll do fine. He's going to get the situation under construction, and it's going to be—he's going to come out ripped again. He got a very weird haircut it was before his, he went in. He got like his old haircut. He used. Yeah. He had been having like the longer, like on top hair, where it was he got sort like of like the Caesar. That's that's what he always had. I know it doesn't look good though. I like the longer hair. Well, he wanted to be like more hard and less like cute when he reports to prison yeah exactly is that just like a female thing i don't know (laughs) okay well um you know our thoughts go out to lauren's yep lauren's hold your head girl make sure that commissary's full you've got your jersey shore family rallying around you supporting you so all right let's get into godspeed we're keeping this one short this one is a special episode i'm not sure we figured out exactly how we're going to handle these but Given that we're a TV podcast and one of the biggest TV shows is back and we've watched it, we figured we'd talk about it. I thought about this. I think this is a bottle episode just for episodes one and two because we got two episodes this week. One and two of what? We haven't even said the show. True Detective season three. TD3. Going forward, we'll probably keep it to the main episode that we do since it will only be one a week. That sounds I think this warranted its own episode to talk about given that we are breaking ground on a new season with a lot of stuff going on right and we haven't necessarily figured out exactly the format in which we'll be talking about this either because this i mean this is a much bigger venture as far as biting off a uh you know scripted super dense hbo drama as compared to you know talking about boo holes and shit like that every week it's a lot 
it's a lot more to, to kind of digest, so this will be a work in progress, so bear with us. But I think we've got uh, some interesting things to talk about today as far as True Detective goes. Let's start off with first impressions. Lucas, as a viewer of seasons one and two, what was your first impression of season three? I'm into it. I really like it. I I was sort of skeptical going in, but uh, the performances are pretty great. Uh, the story's compelling so far. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it. It's so interesting to watch you watch TV because... Based on looking at your face, I would think you hate everything that we watch, unless it's like, fuck, that's delicious, or a skateboard video where you're actually smiling. Well, I mean, that's the things that I like the most, food, <laughs> shows, and skate videos. I know that True Detective doesn't really give you a lot of reasons to smile, but at best, you seem disinterested. At worst, I would have assumed you hated it. That's not true. I actually watch them, unlike you, who just scrolls through Instagram the entire time we watch something. Hey, I watched this. With one eye, the other eye was on the timeline. No, I can't cross my eyes that well. So, okay, so you liked it. I No, I, yes, I really liked it. And everything I've read, this is much more in the vein of season one than season two. This yeah, plot. to the point where there is some speculation that they take place within the same universe. Yep, I, save it for theories. I, that's, okay. Yep. Um, so as a newcomer to True Detective, I didn't watch seasons one or two. Fun fact, when Lucas and I started dating, I would give him the key to my apartment so he could go watch season one on my HBO. That was season two. No, that was season one. 2015? Five years ago. When did... Se- season one came out in 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, update, there have been three seasons of True Detective, and I'm not engaged. So... Yes, that's how long this show has been going on and how long it's been since season one, even though we're only in season three. Um, as a fresh viewer, it's, oh man, this show is slow. Yeah, they, but <laughs> all prestige dramas are slow, right? I mean, they... Uh, yeah, but... Like, The Sopranos was a slow burn, The Wire, but like, things happened. There were kind of comedy breaks. There were okay. action moments. Like, nothing is high-paced or fast-paced about this well, show. Two two things. First of all, I think you're right on one of those. You're wrong about the pace of sh- certain shows. If you had watched The Wire week to week, you would you would have tapped out like three episodes in because it, it takes a long time for that one to get going. Breaking Bad, Sopranos is a little bit different because there's a lot of, of action that takes place in the pilot episodes and sort of rolls into the, the first season. Um, but you're right about the seriousness, the self-seriousness of this. I mean, this show... And, and this has been the case with all of this, the true detectives. It's just sort of utterly humorless. It's not like The Wire, where you have where you have serious topics that they're taking on, but it's also a funny as hell show. The only glimmer of comic relief is Stephen Dorff. He's got a couple of good lines, and his delivery is really good. His wig is insane. Hey, but, save it for the rundown. But we have a wig of the week award. Oh, all right. But his performance is actually pretty good. I, I know I made fun of him a, a couple weeks ago for being the e-cig guy, but I actually think he's doing a great job. And Marshall Ali is just absolutely slaying. Yeah, I mean, he it, it's obvious why he is a Golden Globe, Oscar, probably soon to be Emmy winner. It, right, but it wasn't necessarily obvious to me though because I never saw Moonlight. So this is this did you, is. Did you watch House of Cards? He was in that. Yeah, but I don't like that show. <laughs> <laughs> but this this to me is is at least as far as my um, experience with him goes, his kind of coming out party. 
And if it's not obvious, this episode is for people who have watched True Detective. We just don't have time to recap two hours of the show. So much happened. So we're going to be talking about it in a way that we assume you've watched it. Right. And and this is going to be entirely spoilerific. So if you haven't watched it, come back. Okay. Um, I, I agree. I think Ollie and Dorf have great on-screen chemistry as partners of the state police. That's their agency, right? They're not local. They're state. It's a good question. I, I, think, they're, I think they're like state highway police or something. I thought they were local West Finger detectives, but th- th- these type of things are, are always sort of ambiguous. I'm, we're going to take a break because I'm going to look this up. Okay. Confirmed. They are state police detectives. Okay. Which I don't know if that's a title you can have as a state police officer but yeah i think they're investigators generally or inspectors or something like that but who cares or troopers or something like that but okay he is a state police detective and where was i going with that i don't have any idea (laughs) i don't think it was necessary to have this argument (laughs) necessary to have all arguments um but who are you sort of like invested in or interested in at this point from a character standpoint Hayes, who is Mahershala Ali, number one with a bullet. Less so Scoop McNary, even though I think he's a great actor and I, I appreciate his performance. He plays Tom Purcell, the missing kid's father. Correct. I am just sort of exhausted from the grieving parent of a missing or murdered child motif that a lot of cable dramas have adopted in recent years. The most glaring and worst example is AMC's The Killing, which spent about seven episodes on the parents just sort of crying and holding each other and the drama that created within their marriage. I'm really not that interested in that. But I am very interested in anything having to do with my man Purple Haze. If I gave you $5, could you name Stephen Dorff's character? Yeah. What is it? Uh, Raymond... Uh, Harold. Harold. <laughs> Wrong. It's Harold. It's not. It's Roland West. Roll, I'm, all right. I said Raymond. <laughs> you don't Raymond. Get, you do not get your $5. I'm really interested in the Native American Vietnam vet. Woodward or Woodard? Yeah. He, I, I don't know. His, the trash man? His interview scene was so heartbreaking. Like something is wrong with that guy, but it's clearly... A result of the Vietnam War, which is a huge through line of this 80s um, timeline that we get. And I just felt really bad for him. And God, I hope he's not the killer. No, I have a 100% chance he's not. Well, uh, well, I hope he's not the wrongly convicted one either then. Yeah, I don't suspect he would be. But this is this is something that happened in, in season detective... Or- True Detective season one is that the the early episodes were full of these like sleight of hand moves where they where they suggested certain red people herrings. were well not even necessarily red herrings but just these like suspects that emerged early on that you sort of knew were too obvious so I, I chalk Woodward the trash man or whatever his name is up to being one of those but the Vietnam thing is interesting because I I think part of part of the most fascinating and engaging thing about Hayes' character is that he's clearly damaged from the war, but it's sort of unclear how that really manifests itself in his his everyday life. I mean, you see him 
drinking a little bit too much or, you know, what he thinks uh, Amelia might think is a little bit too much and things like that. But he's not, like, waking up in cold sweats. He's not having, like, Tony Soprano-style panic attacks. So it's he's, he's very complicated in that it's clear that there's something that he's taken home from the war, but it's not exactly clear what impact that is having on him, at least in the 1980 timeline. Yeah. Um, so... That's who I was interested in. This is sort of an eye roll, small gripe from me. One of the missing kids is named Will. And this is set in 1980. Does that sound familiar to you? No. It should, because the kid who goes missing riding his freaking bike is also named Will in Stranger Things. Yep. And they're both just like white boys with brown hair. They're both found dead early on in the series. Um, I'm sure Will was a really popular name in that era, but I was like, can we, can we move like away from that? Just like Jimmy, something else. Okay. <laughs> I, would, I don't know. It just, it took me out of the show because I started thinking about like Stranger Things. Really? That, that's one of the things about, about this show that is, I kind of admire because it's sort of true to life. It makes it a little bit hard to talk about and a little bit hard to follow is that they don't use people's names that regularly. Like they'll show people and they'll have conversation with people. They'll be like, oh yeah, the, the aide, the attorney general guy who was in one timeline, uh, you know, the, the district attorney for Washington County or whatever, but I don't know what the hell that dude's name is. Kent or something like that. Will stuck out to me because of that. Um, so as we've mentioned, there are three timelines in this series. 1980, when the case happens, the kids go missing. 1990, when, as far as we know so far, they're reopening the case and possibly overturning the conviction of the yet-to-be-named killer. Correct. And a 2015 timeline, so technically present day, where Mahershala Ali's character Wayne Hayes is being interviewed for a true crime documentary. That is correct. Um, Does this work for you? Three timelines. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's very reminiscent of, of season one, which which is interesting. It allows, especially Mahershala Ali, to play essentially three different characters. However, they're really just sort of variations on, on one character, which I think is probably a harder task as an actor. So, yeah, it's, it's working for me so far. I mean, it, it gets frustrating as a viewer sort of because you want the pieces all to come together pretty quickly but they never do in these shows, so you just have to sort of accept that and allow the timelines to sort of work independently and then ultimately come together whenever Nick Pizzolatto decides he wants to. One TV critic described the first five episodes as sort of being like putting all your ingredients in the crock pot but forgetting to turn it on and coming home from work and it's not ready. Well, we've only seen two of them. I hope that's yes. not the case. But <laughs> um, so is it, it might effect- be. Is it effective? Like, could this story be told better if it were just one timeline that went chronological, or like a chronological, as opposed to starting in the '80s and then having him finish his thought in the '90s and having him pick up his thought again as a um, dementia-riddled old man? Yes, that you could do it, and in fact, I think if you were able to figure out a way to do that well, it would be more effective. However, this is sort of a a tourist flourish that if you're able to pull off works, but yeah, I mean, would I prefer it to be chronological and be just as impactful? Absolutely. But you know, sometimes the structure helps to provide, you know, this level of, uh, intrigue as far as the plot goes. 
All right, let's get to the case. We're two episodes in, so it is way too early to really know what happened. Oh, I know exactly what happened already. Of course you do. (laughs) But let's talk about our way too early theories, um, since you are so eager. If you don't... Can can I just say my theory? And I I think it... I was literally about to prompt you to say your theory. (laughs) Well, and I, I recognize that this theory is going to be full of holes and probably not track. However, I think it provides enough of a framework that like the puzzle pieces that we've gotten fit within it. So as far as I can tell, it makes the most sense. And my theory is that there was not a murder at all. No murder. So I, th- and I'm going to go through this and you, you tell me if you disagree or you, or you think I'm completely off base. So we know that the Purcell kids lived in a rough home. We, we've, we know that to be a fact. I believe that when the Purcells told Scoop McNary, their dad, that they were going to a friend's house to check out the new dog, which happens in like the first five minutes of the, of the first episode, they were lying because they spoke, the, the detectives spoke to one of the Purcells' friends who said, no, they never came over to check out the new dog. I think they were running away. They had all of their backpacks packed. They were out on their bikes. We know that their parents didn't get along. We know that there may have been some situations going on with with other members of their family that uh, that may have been prompting them to leave the house. So I think that Julie and Will left on their bikes. Something happened, a tragic accident of some sort. Will dies somehow, and this is this is a leap that I'm not. I haven't quite figured out. Somehow, J- Julie gets Will's body to Devil's Den State Park, where he's ultimately found by Mahershala Ali. And because there is some evidence that both of the kids were involved with religious activities, posed his body like that as sort of a a, a way to appease some of the guilt that she may have had as far as her possible role in Will's accidental death. She continues after that to run away, possibly with the help of a parent, her mom's family in Oklahoma, who we know lives in Oklahoma, and we know that's where she was ultimately caught with her fingerprints on the uh, in the pharmacy robbery. And we also know that it's possible that her biological father is not Scoot McNary and possibly could be in Oklahoma. That's just the plot stuff. There's a lot of thematic stuff that goes along with the fact that this is a crime that tore this community apart that may or may not actually be a crime. I'll let you jump in and then I'll continue. Shit, that is a good theory. Thank you. That is why I didn't want you to write it in the rundown because I wanted to hear it fresh. All right. Lucas and I have a shared Google Doc where we put together the rundown and I said explicitly, write your theories on a separate thing so I don't see it in the rundown and I see Lucas type type typing it up in there so I had to type in bigger letters don't put it in the rundown but oh my god that's a really good theory and I kind of hope that's what happened but that's still really tragic because that means someone went to jail for 10 years well okay so let's start putting those pieces together so other important characters we have Amelia the eventual wife of Wayne of Wayne Hayes so, Amelia, it's a, it's clear that she is somehow 
involved in this more than than it appears. So she's always seems to be around. She's she's there early on when uh, at the community center when the cops are talking to people. She's there in the interrogation of the the kid and sort of steers his answers because he he doesn't want to. The kid, meaning um, the classmate of uh, the Purcells, who tells Wayne that that they found the the creepy little doll or whatever. Um, she's there at the bar, sort of inexplicably. It's not clear as no, to whether she's at the bar she regularly goes well, to. He goes to her regular bar. No, I, I get that. That's not made entirely clear. It's not clear as to whether or not he went there intentionally to track her down or that he just happened to be there. So, is he pursuing her or is she putting herself herself in places where she would have access to the investigation? So, in the 2015 timeline, when Hayes is talking to the um, would-be Netflix people, the documentarians, he is clearly concerned that they're onto something. And the obvious implication initially is that he's concerned that he and Steven Dorff did something untoward or unethical during the investigation that he doesn't want them to uncover. However, what if the documentarian people uncovered something about Amelia's involvement? Perhaps she fabricated interviews, fabricated facts, and created a situation that ultimately tore this community apart because that's what what was the subtitle of her of her books? Something under the kidnap or a murder and a kidnapping that destroyed or ruined a t- small town. Right. So in as of 2015, it's clear that this town has been destroyed. So perhaps she was close enough to the case all along that she was aware that there may not have been actually uh, you know, a, a murder and a satanic cult involved and she made it up and she and Mahershala Ali's concerned that documentarians have dug this up now. That's one piece. Another piece. Is this gonna take a while? I, I but we don't even have that much hosting that's, time, so I need fine. you to get to it. I want to get to one other thing before I get off this. So the the non plot the non plot thematic portion of the show is sort of about the way that events like the murder of Will Purcell and disappearance of Julie Purcell can turn community members against one another and, and destroy community. And there are real life parallels to this that that have occurred in history, especially during the. 80s and early 90s and the show explicitly references one it, the documentarian mentions to uh Hayes the Franklin cover-up which if you're not familiar is essentially the pizza gate of the 1980s but with republicans it involves accusations of a child sex ring satanic cult activity among among high-level GOP donors and elected officials. Anyways, it turns out that that was completely untrue. The other thing that is is not explicitly but implicitly referenced in this episode, or the second episode, is the McMartin preschool trial. Which So one of the suspects that Hayes and Stephen Dorff um, rough up and, and interrogate is a, a pedophile, child molester. Who works at a preschool? I pronounce. I prefer the Anglican pronunciation of pedophile. Okay, Thank you. <laughs> he's a molester, a child molester. That's for all my Freddie got fingered heads out there. Shout out to Tom Green. Move along. All right. So the the McMartin preschool trial took place in L.A. Uh, it started in the mid '80s, ended up in the '90s. It was the most expensive trial in the in the history of of the American judicial system before O.J. However, it's important because it also involved accusations of a, a satanic cult but turned out it was just some 
crazy schizophrenic woman who told investigators that there were all these tunnels underneath the preschool and molesters were going through you know the toilets and grabbing it's insane nothing happened there no satanic cult no crime the third which is also implicitly referenced in the show is the west memphis three case so there are three teenagers that are suspects initially in the show same as in the west memphis three case with damian eccles Jesse Miss Kelly and Jason Baldwin. Ultimately, there again, no satanic involvement. Yes, children were killed. However, it's to this day unclear as to why they were killed, who they were killed, and it destroyed this community, which happened to also be in Arkansas. So, Listeners, I rest I my case. Listeners, that very subtle, but what Lucas is saying is that there's a satanic panic theme running through this show. Correct. That he took 10 minutes to explain. But the context is important. Yes. Details, you know, the devil is in the details with these shows, certainly. So it's very heavy-handed with the Satan stuff right now, which probably means it will end up having nothing to do with the actual disappearance and death of Will Person. That's why I think my theory holds, because it would be more... It would be more weighty for the town to destroy itself over a made-up satanic cult than to destroy itself over an actual satanic cult. Okay, can I talk again? Please. All right. Um, I really, I think that's an amazing theory. I think it definitely holds up. I freaking hate when you do this because you are usually right about these things and you make me feel really stupid. Why does that make you feel stupid? I would have never gotten there. I never would have figured this out. But I think it's also because you're a very avid TV watcher. You know, you talk about TV, you've written about TV. I think even the best storytellers always follow a format, which for someone like you, it's easy to figure out. I think inside the bun. Okay. And it would have never gotten there. Well, <laughs> so. and it's also that, that this is, happens to be an, a unique case because it's it's true crime based. And I've, you know, the, I mean, I've, I've this is the, read this a million. This is an intersection of a lot of Lucas's. Uh, favorite topics minus skateboarding and food that's true (laughs) so true crime you know the sausage making of television true detective itself history documentaries about these things um yeah it's a and i'm not all we're missing is guy and action (laughs) and i haven't even gotten into the literary stuff because no we have we cannot we cannot (laughs) however it's interesting that i am actually reading a book Right now, by oh, you're reading a book the, by the author of the the poem that um, Amelia is teaching to her class when they walked in. And you I, hear that, Justin? He's not reading your Christmas gift. Not yet. This <laughs> book is four million pages long. Okay, well, I'm not even going to contribute my theory because I really didn't think of one. Um, but <laughs> I, I was thinking. A half-baked idea about how the death might have actually been an accident. Yeah. I was kind of leaning toward that because the kids have the bike exactly. at the tower. and But then the other bike is found in the park. Yeah. So it's not really clear how the bikes got separated, which could mean the kids got separated. The teenagers lie to the detectives. But as they pointed out, like there are tons of reasons why teenagers lie about what they're doing. When right. they're not with their parents. So that was kind of where my head was going. But then I... Didn't get to it. Okay. If we do think, though, if if we think that my theory could be wrong and, and it actually was a murder that took place, do we think that we have been introduced to the murderer yet? Any of the people that we've met on the show? No. 
I don't either. Okay. Other important threads. Um, we'll kind of update this as we continue to talk about it. Sort of the only other case-related thread that's been opened up in the first two episodes is the mom, Lucy Purcell, I believe is her name. Her mm-hmm. brother, Dan, stayed with the family for a time. Correct. And this is important because when the detectives first search the boys or the children's bedroom, they go into Will's room and they find Playboys under the mattress and a peeping Tom hole in the closet that goes to Julie's room. Yes. And at first you're like, oh, gross. Like the brother was spying on his sister. We quickly find out that the uncle was staying in that room. So for some reason, it has to be important down the line. We are told so far to believe that there's a possibility the uncle was spying on his niece and kept playboys under the bed. So might have been a bit of a, you know... A molester. Child molester. Enough. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, Which would biggest... cause them to want to run away from home. Exactly. Or at least Julie, and maybe Will just went with her because he's like, God, if you're going to leave, I'm not staying in this shithole with our parents. Yeah. Um, okay. And now, sort of another running thread, we'll keep updating what we know has happened in the last 30 years between the 80 and the 2015 timeline. Amelia has died. Yeah. Um, we know this for sure. This is not like a, this is us, like, oh, what happened to Amelia? Like, it is explicitly said she died. Um, Wayne Hayes has a strange relationship with his daughter, who in the 1980 timeline looks to be somewhere between five and seven. No, maybe like six and eight. Sure, yeah. Um, he does not talk to her, and he left the police force after the appeal. Do we know that that's, I, I'm a little unclear as to the timeline as to when he left in the, the documentarian says you left the force after the um, conviction was overturned or the appeal was opened. Okay. So it had to be after that 1990 timeline. Yes. We'll I mean, probably see him leave the force in that timeline. We do know that. Um, Roland, it says here, became the blue e-cig spokesman. <laughs> That's how he made all of his money. Apparently he's rich. True detective might not have jokes. But basic cable does. They haven't said how he's rich. He maybe he's an e salesman. I missed part where he's rich. He probably like sold a story. Maybe maybe it's he had unclear. a competing book or something with. Yeah, they said that that they wanted to have a meeting with him or something like that. But he's such a you know big wig that they weren't able to fit in his probably schedule like a or Fox something. News, you know, law enforcement talking head. That's possible. That's my theory. Okay, and like Bo Deedle. This week or these two episodes, who was your favorite Mahershalala era? I like 90s. Yeah, I think that's like, he looks best. He's yeah, got like the he's got top. a real high and tight, real crisp flat top. He looks great. Yeah, he looks younger there than he, he does. did in that's, the 70s. Yeah, that's so the weird. weird. It's 80. But or 80. Yeah, I agree. He does look younger in 90 than he does in 80. Just like smoother. Yeah. Um, and then wig of the week. You already blew the load on this one. Gross. <laughs> I'm... Gonna have to go with my man, Esdorf. Esdorf? Esdorf. That hair is just... Speaking of things that take you out of it, that hair is fucking crazy. I know. It's like, what is the budget for this show? Like, $300,000 per episode, and they're going down the street to the wig shop at Party City to get, like, these wigs? Do do you think that one episode of the show only costs $300,000? I mean, it's not a high budget yeah, in terms like of like special well. effects or anything, but I guarantee that each episode costs more than three hundred thousand. We're talking like a million dollars, but there, yeah. I gotta think the wig budget here is about fifty bucks. I think it's about four ninety nine. It's like 
call someone you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get these wigs for free. It's that's a crazy look. It is. It's uh. It's a lot. I'll be interested to see what he looks like in. 1990 and in 2015 if we see him we have seen both in the in the coming up episodes i don't want to focus too much on those all right i didn't really get a good look at them i guess my wig of the week is um herschel's 80 kind of fuzzy top yeah he he definitely has like a a, the beginnings of a um hey arnold thing like a pencil head like a kid in play type situation you know like I can't remember that yeah. kid's name from Hey Arnold, his black friend. <laughs> you guys know who I'm talking the about. The kid from Kid and Play haircut. Yeah, but he is. doesn't actually have that. It's more round. <laughs> You're talking about the pencil eraser hair. Yes. Which he has more of in 1990. Well, we have different uh, thoughts on this. <laughs> My honorable mention would go to Scoot McNary, though. Yeah. He is looking ragged. He Not, not great. Not, not cute. Not cute. So, I'm glad there's some hope. A lot of the reviews were not very kind to this show. I mean, I'm... I saw like C's and B's and sort of like season one warmed over and, you know, True Detective still super grim and depressing. I mean, that's certainly the case. But I hope in the coming weeks, critics and viewers will be kinder to this season than they were season two. Well, I mean, seems like an inevitability. Not necessarily, because I was all in on season one through the first couple of episodes and turned, you know, probably three quarters of the way through the season when it was clear that all of the red herrings and the, you know, references to 18th century literary figures were essentially meaningless. But knowing that's how they do it, does that kind of prepare you better for this season? Yeah, because I think that... I think that my my theory will hold in that they will steer into the fact that this is all for nothing. And it's ultimately about nothing. Okay. And an unfortunate accident. All right. Well, we'll keep talking about this show. Undetermined if we'll always do sort of bottle independent episodes of our regular basic cables. But we will try to devote enough time to talk about each episode. Yes. So thank you guys so much. We hope you are watching this show. We hope you're listening to our show. Please feel free to tell your friends that you listen to this cool podcast called Basic Cable because you know what? In like a year or two, you're going to want to be one of those people who said, I was listening to it first. That's right. Like, just think about any podcast you like and how your annoying friend is like, oh, I was listening to that like, when it first came out. And like, be that person for Basic Cable. Yeah. When we start making the I'm with HIE123 t-shirts, you can say that you know what that reference is about. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know. Just, like, be on the bandwagon now. Yep. So we'll be back in the next couple of days or the next week with a full episode with some other shows we're watching. Um, but until then, you can always email us, basiccablepod at gmail.com. Reach us on Twitter and Instagram at basiccablepod. Free sitch! It's not relevant to this discussion. Basic Cable is hosted and produced by Carly and Lucas. Music you hear at the beginning and end of the episode provided royalty-free courtesy of bensoundmusic.com. Go check them out.